0: she they Um, this is Tilly responds to good girl and (laughs) I am so happy to be here she is my service dog if you didn't catch on to that (laughs) over the past few years I um, have developed a handful of chronic illnesses and the symptoms of these comorbidities have transformed my once very able-bodied life. Uh, Av, if there are pictures of me when I was dancing, um, those would go now. Um, yeah, that's an unedited photo that my friend took. And um, I went from a once very able-bodied life to that of living with dynamic disability. Any one of my many diagnoses may not be disabling to someone else, but the combination of them all, the comorbidities, have become disabling for me. There's a chance that you may feel like I just began speaking in a foreign language. (laughs) You might feel like, oh gosh, I'm going to check out. I don't want to lose you yet. We've just begun. Um, (laughs) I promise that I'll explain as much as I can. And I invite you to lean in and take notes. Write down something that you didn't understand and maybe ask questions afterwards in our kinship cafe discussions. We circle up here in the room and there's also a discussion online for those tuning in virtually. Before I get into what the sermon is going to be, let me get into what it is not. The simple fact that I have a disability is not inspiring. And the point of the sermon is not for you to leave here thinking things like, She's so strong for existing. <laughs> sermons in their very nature do often aim to be inspirational. I, I actually hope that forefront sermons inspire you to think, and inspire you to act, inspire you to interrogate theology, uh, the text, or internalized uh, limiting beliefs, but I do want you to set your expectations accordingly. Just, just because I'm disabled and I'm a disabled person giving a sermon about disability and about ableism, This is not intended to be inspiration corn. All right, you get it. (laughs) If you um, didn't understand that colloquialism there, that uh, phrase, I encourage you to go watch the fantastic TED Talk by the late Stella Young called I'm Not Your Inspiration, Thank You Very Much. (laughs) Even if you did understand it, honestly, you should go watch it. It's about 10 minutes long. So now, what this sermon is. We are in week two of our We Will Not Be Silent series, and I'm preaching on ableism. What is ableism? (laughs) Uh, Talila A. Lewis has worked as a working definition of ableism on TL's blog, in which a major emphasis is on ableism being inherently anti black. It goes like this. A system of assigning value to people's bodies and minds based on societally constructed ideas of normalcy, productivity, desirability, intelligence, excellence, and fitness. These constructed ideas are deeply rooted in eugenics, anti-blackness, misogyny, colonialism, imperialism, and capitalism. The systemic oppression that leads to people and society determining people's value based on their culture age, language, appearance, religion, birth or living place, health, wellness and or their ability to satisfactorily reproduce, excel and behave. You do not have to be disabled to experience ableism. And another definition that I liked was by Leah Smith from Center for Disability Rights who defines it as ableism is a set of beliefs or practices that devalue and discriminate against people with physical, intellectual or psychiatric disabilities and often rests on the assumption that disabled people need to be fixed in one form or another. Ableism is intertwined in our culture due to many limiting beliefs about what disability does or does not mean, how able-bodied people learn to treat people with disabilities and how we are often not included at the table for key decisions here at Forefront we talk a lot about racism, homophobia, transphobia. We've seen and are seeing in real time the effects of xenophobia, Islamophobia and anti-Semitism. Ableism is one of those dicey topics that might be uncomfortable to bring up at the Thanksgiving dinner table, but it's one of the first targets often for a playground grade school bully. Something that all of these targets have in common is that when kids grow up in an environment that doesn't have exposure to or talk about uh, that which is different from them, those kids can grow up to be at best well-meaning but ignorant adults and at worst adults that are scared of lived experiences that differ from their own which can manifest into extreme hatred and, and exclusion. Ableism is like the others. Um, and it has a larger impact on black, brown, poor, and trans individuals. However, ableism differs from the other awful isms and phobias in that instead of outward disgust or hatred, it is often displayed as pity, which can be justified, disguised as caring. I think it's safe for me to assume that to make, uh, say for me to yeah, make the assumption that if you are in this room or you're watching on the live stream, you're of the well-meaning variety of humankind, I would hope, <laughs> or you have or are currently experiencing disability in some capacity. I can also safely assume, and I really want you to hear this, that many of us will experience disability in our lifetime. According to the CDC, 27% so up to one in four adults in the US have some type of disability right now. According to lifeinsurance.com, if you're under age 35, chances are one in three that you will be disabled for at least six months during the course of your career, men having a 43% chance of becoming seriously disabled and women having a 54% chance. Yes that's a binary quote and statistic but we can gather around 50% of us are going to be seriously disabled during our working careers. An inclusive citymaker.com takes the CDC stat and that 27% being around 61 million adults with disabilities, they compare it to the population of Italy, which is around 60 million inhabitants. So many people, are or will experience disability and yet we often aren't being informed on how to interact with and advocate for those who are currently disabled right now. I mean, my god, a lot of the time we grew up being taught that disabled is a bad or a dirty word. Spoiler alert, it's not. <laughs> this is not a sermon intended to scare you or to make you feel bad if you didn't know something. I I really hope that it's the start of many conversations for our community as we continue to push ourselves out of our comfort zones and into a more just and generous expression of Christianity. A more just and generous active striving for advocacy. One of our values is radical equity. We've primarily focused this value in regard to racial, gender, and sexuality equity. We've begun to talk about the inclusion of various economic statuses and age diversity, and I've, I've heard us talk about the intersectionality of many of these identities that we hold here in this room. In the spirit of the sermon series, we will not be silent. I invite us as a church to continue to search for the other identities on the margins that we've yet to really advocate for. Maybe the ones that aren't the loudest voices because as Kara Reedy put it in an NPR article about disability and avoiding ableist tropes, when you're not talking about poverty and race and disability together, you're not telling the story. You're not digging in. Why? Well, because above all else in this place, we turn to Jesus' example. So let's dig in. Our first verse today is from Leviticus 19.14 do not insult the deaf or cause the blind to stumble. Jesus says that. Seems pretty obvious, pretty straightforward. At first glance, I read it and I think, all right, don't be a bully. (laughs) But in actuality, it's much more layered. I came across a couple glossaries and guides for language when it comes to disability and potentially ableist phrases. So those are being dropped in the live stream chat. Um, and if it's of interest, I'm happy to make a blog post with all of the resources that I um, referenced today. There are so many well-meaning people that get it wrong when it comes to language and language is always evolving. So the second you learn something, it almost feels like, oh, that was taken away from me. I have to learn it again. It makes me think of well-meaning but harmful phrases and quite frankly insulting movements. One example being um, the phrase differently abled. It became very popular, a very popular euphemism for disabled people in the 1990s and now many disabled people cannot stand that phrase including myself and find it incredibly insulting because of the impact that that phrase has made. The impact not being good. That intention of the phrase may have been very well-meaning but the impact has not been good. Using a euphemism to describe someone's very real disabling conditions allow the powers that be to believe that oh well if everyone's differently abled then yours can't be that bad why do you need special treatment? Euphemisms continue to block access and block advancements in disability justice and care Euphemisms provide non-disabled people with the illusion that they're an ally. So you think you're doing a good job and really there's something else going on. In that example, it's like, uh, yes, I, I do want you to see me as fully human, obviously. And, and I do want you to see me on the same playing field as my more privileged counterparts, but also in order to truly advocate for me, I really need you to see all of me, my race, my disabilities, my needed accommodations, my Tilly, and beyond. Only then can we really know what we're even advocating for together for society to change. Jesus said, don't insult the deaf or cause the blind to stumble. If you aren't talking to disabled people about what is insulting to them, how can you truly know what is insulting to them? And the disability community is not a monolith, I don't speak for all of us. (laughs) My positionality to disability is quite privileged. Um, And everyone experiences ableism in a very personal and nuanced way. So I asked the disabled community on Instagram and TikTok, if you could tell Christians one thing about ableism, what would it be? I got some really interesting replies. Um, Stella, who is Stella and Venus on Instagram, it's her and her service dog said, I'm sure this one is obvious but incredibly important. Not all disabled people want to be prayed for. <laughs> if it's your belief, prayer on your own time to send strength, that's, that's different. However, I don't want people to just pray over me. There are parts of me that will never heal and parts that I don't want healed. Churches have so much money and impact. So put that effort into going into the community and doing volunteer projects for disabled communities Praying will not get wi- will not get rid of my wheelchair and I don't want it to. Take action with the church to solve inaccessibility instead. Daniel Jose, uh, one of our our own here, responded and said Neuro- neurodivergent here. I always had family tell me that I wasn't praying enough or had enough faith, and that's why I suffered. I've only shared with my sister that I have autism, and her response was to tell me to pray before my evaluation because it could be the devil working against me. Overall, there's a belief that prayer will make things go away. I'd rather folks pray for my strength in dealing with a world that wasn't built for me. Mm-hmm. I pray for a voice to advocate when I may not be able to have one. It's, the, it's one of the driving forces of me being in seminary. He goes on to continue and say that he has a lot of autistic friends and has met people who are looking into the relationship of autism and the church. That's so cool. We need more of that. <laughs> Other people responded to my post and, and a lot of people said that when strangers pray over them it's really belittling. I don't think that's what they're intending. John 9, 1-3. through um, starts off like this. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? The disciples just assume that this man is blind because of sin, because of some sort, sort of punishment. Stella, or Stella and Venus uh, went on in her response to say the devil did not make me disabled it is never acceptable to tell someone that the only reason they suffer endlessly is because of a choice not to follow a certain belief my disability is way more than a belief and I didn't do this to myself I agree with Stella (laughs) but it also seems that Jesus does too the verse in John continues Jesus answered the disciples it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Not the, not the works of the devil, not the product of their sin. So if our default needs to move away from, I'll pray for you, or worse actually, praying over someone unsolicited, and it is not the disabled person's faith or lack of faith causing their disability, then what should our default be? How can we be better allies and combat ableism? Jesus says the works of God might be displayed in him. Have you ever thought about a disabled person that way? Honestly, I want you to ask yourself. And not in a posture of pity or expecting them to provide you with inspiration corn. But truly, wholly see them as the works of God. Before we can adjust how we treat disabled people, we first may need to change our mindset and internalized beliefs about disabled people. There's a slide, should be a slide, with some definitions. Um, in the disabled community, we tend to chat about the pros and cons of being what we call visibly disabled. Great. I have what would mostly be considered invisible disabilities, and at this point, um, because my symptoms are dynamic, meaning that they drastically change day to day, hour to hour, sometimes even minute to minute. I could feel completely paralyzed in my leg at one point and then go and be dancing off to the side another. (laughs) Vanita said in her sermon last week, who silenced you? Sure, our ableist structures, Of the world silences me but honestly my first thought when she asked that question was me. Yeah I silence myself all the time when it comes to coming to terms with being newly disabled. At the cost of my own sustainability I have on occasion forced myself to navigate the world without my needed accommodations or trying to hide it somehow. don't want to cry. I'm proud of my makeup today. I don't want to ruin it. (laughs) Anyways, (laughs) But I really do try to hide it simply because I don't want to deal with the staring or the questions or the whispers or the awkward unprompted prayers (laughs) or greeting card-like words of encouragement. (laughs) And if you feel called out right now, I'm not mad at you for it. It's very common, but I'd like it to stop. (laughs) It can be really exhausting hearing, I hope you feel better soon, when I know that I won't feel better soon. I also have to assess my emotional and mental well-being before I leave the house, every single time before I leave the house. I have to ask, can I emotionally handle being denied access if I bring my service dog, or being questioned about my validity as a disabled person if I don't bring my service dog, or being harassed for having a service dog with me? The list goes on and on. And I've allowed my own internalized ableism to win here at church. Often, when I need to lead to task, like I showed at the beginning of this sermon, I go into the lobby or the kitchen to hide. When I was practicing and during my mic check today, Josh literally said, I've never seen her do that before. And it's because of me. I've also never preached from a chair. <laughs> For my specific needs, having the option to sit at, like, all times <laughs> is really, really helpful to sustaining my energy throughout the day and managing my chronic pain. Switching positions somewhat frequently from sitting, to standing, to laying on the ground, to sitting again. Frequently changing those positions is what actually is most ideal for my body. I know this, <laughs> but I've never preached from a chair before. Vinayda, Josh, and I were chatting about this in our weekly EC meeting, and for the first time, I voiced that for as long as I can remember. I've heard folks say just offhandedly that for them, Preaching from a chair, worried them that they'd come across less energetic or that it would not be as engaging as standing or pacing the stage. And unfortunately, instead of making my own choice about how my personal body finds and preserves and manages energy, I just internalized someone else's able-bodied energy management and decided that it must be applied to me as well. Together, the three of us interrogated this collective internalized ableism and realized it's not just me who felt held back by this belief. Sometimes sitting accommodates a non-disabled preacher too. So don't be surprised if in future weeks the positions up here change while people preach because we're learning to listen to our individual bodies. A more accessible world actually benefits everyone. All right. So now that we've begun changing our mindset, I'm hopeful that you'll begin to identify, or start to yeah start to identify um, the ableism within some of these examples. A lot of folks in my comments expressed that it's ableist to assume that we want to be healed. It's much more accurate and Christ-like to assume that we want to be accepted. Uh, pink pixie on Instagram, who, by the way, made Tilly's pink vest and her adorable patches, uh, support small disabled businesses. (laughs) She said, I wish Christians would understand that it's incredibly ableist to assume that God will cure us. Stop assuming that God is a replacement for modern medicine. I know for me, I take a lot of medications throughout the day, and without those, I don't know that I'd be able to show up here. Joseph A. Kibler, um, who's kind of TikTok famous, so I'm pretty proud that he responded to my post. Um, <laughs> he expressed that it's incredibly ableist to assume any physical achievement that he makes is a gift from God. It makes him feel like people aren't giving him any credit for the sheer determination and willpower that it takes him to achieve a physical goal. If you wouldn't fake using a cane or a wheelchair or a walker, consider not faking having a service dog. That happens a lot. I experienced multiple encounters with ableism on Friday morning alone. I don't have time to get into all of the details, but (laughs) due to lack of education and preconceived ideas about service dogs, I was harassed and interrogated by not only a total stranger, a gym bro, partaking in the same public venue as me, but an MTA bus driver, and I've never had an issue with the bus drivers. I don't even fully blame either of these people, to be honest. Service dog laws and disability accommodations aren't common knowledge, and even when companies train their employees, they can get it wrong, like the MTA apparently. An inaccessible world not only makes things more difficult for people with disabilities, but it makes it more difficult for people without disabilities. And we ruined each other's day on Friday, I'm sure of it. (laughs) A more accessible world benefits everyone. Another quote by one of my favorite TikTok creators, she's a black disabled wheelchair user, Maya Pole. You might know her as I'm a roll with it. Um, (laughs) she was interviewed by today and said to know there's a world out there that chooses to exclude you that chooses to not make the necessary changes to create systems that support you is soul-crushing to know that for the rest of my life I'm going to be looking at tens of thousands of dollars extra for anything that I want is frustrating soul-crushing and heartbreaking especially when I know that it doesn't have to be this way the world may not be made in an accessible way, but the people in it have the power to change how we interact with the world and with each other. And while allyship can't be reduced to a checklist, uh, I'm thinking of like the BuzzFeed checklist of like how to be an ally, Uh, (laughs) I do hope that these examples encourage you to find other ways to do more than just pray for a disabled person. Helping someone can and should actually start with asking them if they want help to begin with. Take ownership of your access to education and do your own research. Read up on ADA.gov about service dogs, ask questions when you can't find what you're looking for, don't know the right way to navigate a situation. Take in the inaccessible world around you the next time you're out on the street. Maybe consider advocating for changes to be made at your workplace or somewhere else that you go very often. Maybe it's something more expensive like advocating for adding a ramp. But maybe it's something really easy like implementing closed captioning on videos or putting in um, alt text on images on Instagram. If you also have accommodation needs that may conflict with someone else's accommodation needs find a way to collaborate together with compassion. There's almost always a way to find some kind of reasonable accommodation for both parties, and being able to honor each other's at the same time just helps everyone grow. My acting teacher um, has been incredibly accommodating. Shout out to my JWS friends who are here. Um, (laughs) Jen Waldman, our acting coach, uh, actually researched on her own and knows the laws, go figure, regarding service animals. And our conversations, because of that, our our conversations when I first submitted my accessibility requests were so much easier because there's a common understanding and a common language. She sets that standard and example to the rest of the class. Uh, The first class of the month, there's usually a new group of students and she has me introduce myself and introduce Tilly And then she asks in front of everybody, are there ways that we as a class can support you and Tilly? Are there ways that we should or should not interact with Tilly? It gives me agency in choosing if I need help or not. And it gives me a window to educate and advocate for myself in an empowering way without feeling pushy. She also checks in with uh, the class ahead of time to see if anyone has severe allergies to dogs and if so, she finds a reasonable accommodation so that we can both get the most out of class. It's become a practice for her. My girlfriend and my besties are all really great now at checking in with me before an outing or an event to see what my pain levels are like or what accommodations I plan to or already have requested and if there's ways that they can support me so that we can all have a good time. They're also great at not assuming that I need help. For some of my friends, this took some practice (laughs) because I get it. You don't like to see me in pain. You don't like to see me struggling. You want to help, but ultimately, they understand that maintaining my independence means everything to me. And my service dog is how I can keep that independence. And they know that I'm going to ask for help if I actually need it. And they know these things only because we talk about it. I also was thinking about um, the forefront kiddos and um, I'm realizing I'm going over time and I apologize for that Um, but really quick this example just a couple weeks ago June and Elsie um, Suzanne and Robbie's kiddos were in the lobby with me and they saw my cane and they asked what it was. I told them that sometimes I have trouble walking so the cane helps me. I also said that I chose this one because it's pretty. I like pink and I like flowers and Elsie repeated It helps you walk, and it's pretty. And then she said that she likes flowers too, and her little sister June agreed. A more accessible world actually benefits everyone. And we show that example to the kiddos here every day. Maybe try to find ways to prove that to yourself and to others. I have one more verse for us to look at today. It's John 13, 3 through 17. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. It's not a terrible thing to want to help someone who has a disability or wash their feet, if you will. However, have you ever considered that that same disabled person that you want to care for could also care for you? What would it mean to allow a disabled person to wash your feet for a change? What could you learn from their example and their experience?